Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to be hanging around that chapter today. Jeff Shaw and I were tracking a mountain lion in the Capitan Mountains of New Mexico when we came upon one of the most depressing sights of all of my time that I've ever spent in the woods. It's a dead bald eagle. Rigor mortis hadn't set in yet, and so we determined that the symbol of our nation couldn't have been dead more than maybe an hour or two tops before we found it. Jeff and I took some pictures of this majestic bird, and um, we knew the Forest Service would want to see him as well as hear about it. Our best guess was that the eagle had accidentally eaten some poison bait that was laced uh, to try to eradicate coyotes in the area. And that was confirmed later. The nearly six-foot wingspan, I'm telling you, was stunning. We both wished out loud that we could have looked at this monarch in the sky, alive and soaring, rather than dead and decomposing there in the dirt. Now, interesting enough, I would see not one but three eagles soaring three weeks later. It was on our men's retreat. While I was preaching in Rudoso, every year we made the trek up to Chama, New Mexico. It's some great cabins there. And each November, we put some salmon in the freezer and God's Word in our hearts. Well, this particular year, the salmon run was bigger than usual, and no one knew that better than three eagles that fished with us every single day. Every day they soared above us and plunged into the water, catching the kokanee that was churning on the surface. I'm telling you, it was amazing. And it was such a contrast to the eagle that Jeff and I had come upon while we were in the mountains just a few weeks earlier. Grounded, not soaring, lifeless, and in the dirt. Stuck in the greatest of all strongholds, death. Now, I share any of that with you because, church, I believe too many of us have taken in sin's poison that's either paralyzed us and our relationships or put them to death altogether. The poison of pride, the poison of selfishness, the poison of envy, jealousy, racism, and unforgiveness, to just name a few. But God, but God intends better for you, friend. We're wrapping up a series on freedom today that my hope is that if there's a stronghold or an area of paralysis you started 2020 with, that it's finally beginning to loosen its grip on your life. A stronghold that the Spirit is helping you more than just break free from, but to literally soar above and over in absolute freedom. At least that's my goal. That's been God's hope for all of our lives, literally from the beginning of time, even though sin entered the world and began poisoning and enslaving almost from the very beginning. God's been at work, however, redeeming us. We read a few moments ago that Lincoln shared from Isaiah 40 about this suffering servant who was about to come and kick into high gear God's restoration project, God's redeeming project, God's restoring project. We know that that was Jesus that he was talking about 600 years before he ever came to earth. And on the night before this servant would suffer the most, Jesus said something to his disciples about an antidote for sin's poison that God was going to be sending soon. So great would be this antidote he promised that he stunned the disciples by saying this. Let me assure you, fellows, it is far better that I go away. 
I say this because when I go away, I will send the Helper to you. And if I don't go, the Helper will not come. Now this fascinates me. Because personally, nothing could be better than to have the one who walked on water walking next to you. I mean, who in the world would rather have the one who could make crippled legs walk and dead people rise than Jesus? And yet, Jesus says himself, this Holy Spirit, this helper, would come and have a greater impact than even he did. That this freedom fighter of all freedom fighters would turn the world upside down when he came after he left. So let me remind us one more time of the theological framework that the Holy Spirit fits in because some of you haven't been here for the entire six series, six lessons in this series. First of all, it's simply this. Jesus was God with us. That's important. However, the Holy Spirit is God in us. That same exact power, Jesus said, that was demonstrated in his earthly ministry and actually resurrected him is available to all of us 24-7, 365. And that word Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit there in John is the word paraclete. I want you to say that with me, all right? Here we go. Paraclete. One more time. Paraclete. You can go home and tell everybody you spoke Greek this morning. There you go. That is a tough term. Did you know that? It's a military term. As a matter of fact, in the first century, every soldier that went to battle had a paraclete. He was another soldier that stood behind you Because they fought hand-to-hand in those days. Not long-range like our armies and our battles are fought so much today. They fought hand-to-hand. And so you needed someone who who was behind you while you fought whoever was in front of you so that both of you were protected. And that's exactly the picture that Jesus wants to have of what this Holy Spirit means in our lives. In a nutshell, Jesus is saying the God of the universe always has your back. You never have to go into a fight alone. You never have to go into any battle alone. And you know what that makes you? Tough. Tough to take out. Tough to take down. The spirit within you makes you spiritually durable and dependable. And I want some of that. And I'm hoping you want some of that more in 2020 than you've ever had of him in your life before. Now, let me build on that in Hebrews 10 and 14. There the writer says, by one sacrifice, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. How does that connect? Stay with me. My guess is the last word you would ever connect to your life is the word perfect. Same for me. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But God says that in Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice, because we've been saved from sin, we are perfect. Now, I know all of us is fully aware that we fail every single day, that we make huge mistakes, but the job of the Holy Spirit is this. Read this with me. The Holy Spirit's job is to help me become what God has already declared me to be. One more time. The Holy Spirit's job is to help me become what God has already declared me to be. He declared in Christ, you're perfect. If you're in Christ, wow, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around, but I believe him. But I know that it's going to be a process, that that instantaneous process of being made perfect is what we call justification, big word. Even bigger word, what he's making me, how he's making me perfect is a process called sanctification. 
It's just a process of making me better and better every single day. And I, and I hate to tell you this, it's a slow one. Very, very slow process. Days that I wish, God, you would just hurry this up and make me better. It just takes a lot longer than any of us could ever imagine. But that's called sanctification. And that's the Spirit's job. He is to come into your life and help bring about what God's already declared is true of you. Now, there are seven ways that the writers of the New Testament describe what that's going to look like in your life. And I'm going to walk us through them very quickly this morning. The first one's this. The Holy Spirit is your surgeon. Say surgeon. The Holy Spirit is your surgeon. It's because sin wounds. Sin scars us. And the Holy Spirit's role in my life is to heal me. And so he's going to take the scalpel of God's word and use that to bring about that healing. Here's what the Hebrew writer says in chapter 4 and verse 12. God's powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. Not you, not, not the most staunch atheist in the world, nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We may disagree with it, we may reject it, but it will have an impact on us. Here's why I had Ricky leave Mr. Potato Head, all right? My guess is because of your sinful past and my knowing my sinful past, it's hard for you like it is for me to think God could use this person in any significant way to make someone else's life better. I know me. And I know what I've done. I know what I've been guilty of. And it's hard for me to believe God could take that, declare it perfect, really, really begin a process of perfecting me, to a point that this body, this person, could make a difference in somebody else's life. So, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, can I tell you what it's like, though? It's not just about you. When I come to Christ, yes, that's a personal thing, but immediately he adds me to a family, or as Paul says there, to a body. This is my illustration for the body of Christ. I know you would be thinking, if you were going to do it, it would be potato head, right? Well, we're going to use this this morning, and I'm going to try to do it this way. He brought me into the body, and he not only cut out sin from my life, but he placed within me a brand new heart, the scripture says. And with that heart came a gift. And for me, it's manifested itself in the gift of communication. He uses words in my life and the passion of my heart to try to communicate this extraordinary story of Jesus Christ coming into this world to redeem paradise that was lost. And to plant hope in our life that paradise like we can't imagine is coming. But he uses the, the gift of communication in my life to help the body be edified and those that aren't a part of that body to come to know this Jesus that they're far from. Now, for some of you else in here, he might use the gift of compassion. You have an ability to listen to people that I don't have. You have an ability to, to be compassionate, to be there with them through the most difficult of times. You understand, and you can help them navigate the most difficult of circumstances. And you've got that gift because the Spirit gave it to you. Others of you have eyes to see problems. And because of the leadership gift God's given you quickly, you can see solutions 
And you love to see things work expertly. And you love to see things work efficiently. And so God's given you these eyes. And if you happen to run your own business, most likely you have that gift. The other gift I want to talk about this morning is the gift of service. Some of you are very, very hands-on. I mean, you like to build things. You like to build websites. You like to build wheelchair ramps. You like to, to write a note of encouragement to someone. You like to get your hands dirty on mission trips. You like to, to do in the body of Christ. And you know what? The body of Christ wouldn't be the same without you. And there's a lot of other things I could say about this potato head, but I'm running out of parts, all right? But you get the idea. The Spirit did that. And he continues to do that with every single one of us. Brandon, who just gave his life to Christ. Jimmy, who just gave his life to Christ. Elaine, who just gave his life to Christ. Yes, they're saved. But God has added them to the body, and we needed those gifts that he is going to use in this world through them. Glad you're here, bro. We need them. And we need you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't just give us a new heart, but he also gives us a gift that we all need to use. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does, He's your gardener. If you've ever planted a garden, you know how hard and difficult it really is. Some of us are blessed with a lot of fruit that come from different people's gardens, but i got to tell you, I've watched my wife do it every year, and it's just a lot of work. And if that's true, you'll appreciate this story. An old man lived in the country, and he wanted to dig up his backyard for a potato garden. But it was too much work for this man's age. And so he, his son Gerard, who used to help him dig up the garden, wasn't around anymore because he was in prison. 20 years to life for killing three men and for robbery. But dad wrote him a letter anyways describing his predicament about planting his garden this year. He said, son, if only you were here to help me dig up my garden. The ground's too hard for your aging father. The hands are too stiff. Oh, I wish that you were here. Miss you so much. Well, a few days later, Gerard sent his dad a letter that simply said this. Dear Dad, for heaven's sakes, don't allow anybody to dig up your garden. That's where I buried the money and the bodies. Love, Gerard. 6 a.m. the next morning, the FBI shows up. And the local police, and the show, anything with a badge was there on the front doorstep. And they started digging up that backyard, and they didn't find anything. Not a thing. They apologized to the old men, and they left. And the next day, he received this letter from his son. Dear Dad... Go ahead and plant the potatoes now. This is the best I could do under the circumstances. Love, Gerard. <laughs> I love that. The Holy Spirit wants to cultivate and grow something in that fertile soil of the Spirit in your heart. And so in Galatians 5, we see these qualities described. You know them as fruit of the Spirit. Because God wants to grow fruit on the branches of your life, my friend. Fruit like love, not just warm, fuzzy love, not just superficial here today and gone tomorrow love, but I'm talking about love for those who don't love you back. That's not easy. And that's why he wants to grow it in you. He wants to grow joy in you when you've got nothing to be happy about. He wants to grow peace in you when you experience still one more setback. He wants to grow patience in you when things aren't moving as fast as you want. He wants to grow kindness in you when others are being mean to you. He wants to grow goodness in you when others are trying to ruin your good name and reputation. He wants to grow faithfulness in you when those that you trust are unfaithful to you. He wants to grow gentleness in you when others speak harshly about you. 
And then lastly, he wants to grow self-control. When that temptation that Satan is sending after you seems stronger than you. Listen to me. That's not your job to produce that. It's the Spirit's. Your job is to collaborate. Your job is to cooperate. And he says, if you will, we can do amazing things together. Things can grow in you and out of you. You would never expect. Because that's what I do. He not only uses this book as a scalpel, he uses it as a seed to plant stuff within you that's extraordinary. And that's why we lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with this Jesus. Okay. The Spirit's our surgeon. The Spirit's our gardener. The Spirit's also, number three, our attorney. Say attorney. Okay, good. I want to introduce you to someone by the name of Ricky Jackson. He's from Cleveland, Ohio. At the age of 18 years old, he was convicted of murder. But he didn't do it. For the next 40 years, he would sit in prison claiming to be an innocent man until DNA evidence proved he was right. So far, it is the longest prison sentence handed out to someone who was proved innocent in U.S. history. That isn't going to happen to you because you're not innocent. None of you. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul says this, every single one of us is sinning and have not lived up to the standard. God's glorious standard. It's going to come a shock to some of us here in this room because you'll make the decision not to follow Jesus Christ, but I want you to hear me clearly. You are not innocent. You're not. You may disagree with God, but His word is true. You are not innocent. Every single one of us is sinning. All those words from the Apostle Paul came at a time in his life when he would tell you he believed he was the most righteous person that walked the globe. He himself would declare himself as innocent before God until on a Damascus road, Jesus himself makes a visit and takes that blindness out of his heart and mind by making him blind. But he opened his eyes to see that what he was doing at the moment, <laughs> he's on that road to Damascus to go take out some Christians in that city. He was absolutely destroying what God was trying to build. And Jesus had to open his eyes to it. But even when Jesus saves him, I want you to hear this. Satan didn't let him forget what he had done. He forever dogged him in the scriptures, he says, and tries to abuse him with his terroristic acts, both in his mind and before the Father. Which is why Jesus calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. He said, well, Jimmy, what does that mean? Well... I don't know completely, but I know at least this. It means he will continually try to bring up my past failures and mistakes in my minds and not let me live with them. Now, I don't know if you've experienced it, but I have. And some way, somehow, he also stands accusing us before God's judgment seat, saying that we don't deserve heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but what I've heard in this country, at least, and what I'm learning is, if people falsely accuse you, you need to get an attorney. Well, I want you to hear this. You have one. And forget 444-4444. Most annoying commercial ever made. We have an attorney who is pro bono. 
and available 24-7 who lives to stand between us and this accuser and say, you have nothing to say. Because hell has been robbed and it's been notarized in blood and Jesus Christ paid the price that these people deserved. He's paid it in full. My attorney says that. That's why I need a surgeon. That's why I need a gardener. But I also need a counselor. Say counselor. Okay. Every day we're bombarded with deceptive messages, aren't we? I am. And sometimes it's hard for me to separate fact from fiction. I got an email the other day. It was from Amazon. And it was asking for my account information because it needed to be updated. Well, it looked absolutely legit. Had that Amazon logo. And the wording seemed to read right. But just to be sure, I called Nocumation to make sure that this was an Amazon update. It wasn't. It was somebody out there, you've received these emails, who was trying to get my information to use it against me, not for my family. Who was trying to steal from me, not bless me. We need a voice. We need a counselor every single day who speaks into our lives to help us navigate what's true and what's false. And the Holy Spirit says, available. Available. Today on the television set, today on your phone, today on your computer screen, someone is going to try to offer you life, a better life. And I want you to hear this. They don't give a rip about your life. They just want your wallet. They want your money. So I thank you. Thank you for coming to be with this family. Thank you for being in Bible classes. Thank you for going to ladies' retreats and men's retreats and, and taking the time to listen to what God says about how to handle that stuff called money. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at a specific series called His Money, His Way. Money Talks, I don't know which title we're going to settle on, but it's going to be one of those two. So that we can take a look at what Scripture has to say about how we handle this money that God's given us. It's His anyways, but that's in a couple of weeks. We need a voice speaking daily into our lives, a counselor that we can go to for advice, whose office is always open and whose ears, whose ears always available. Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 26 and 27, something that I want to leave you with before we switch to another descriptor of the Spirit. The moment we get tired in the waiting, thank God His Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of wordless sighs, our aching groans even, because He knows us better than we even know ourselves. He's our counselor. But the Holy Spirit also is your scout. Say scout. Okay, we're, we're less and less of you. Are you fading on me? Just a couple left. One more time. Say scout. This is one of my favorite descriptors, and it's probably one of the ones we talk about the least. Eh, maybe the last one is, but this one certainly didn't get talked about very much. In the book of Acts, Luke reveals that this Holy Spirit goes ahead of us and He prepares the hearts and minds of people to receive the message of Jesus from us. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, the Holy Spirit says this to Philip, At noon today, I love how specific He is, and I wish it would be more so in my life, At noon today, I want you to walk over to that desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And Luke records, Philip got up and he went. And most of you know this story. He goes and finds a man that's in a chariot and he's reading some scriptures. 
but he doesn't understand what he's reading. And Philip just so happens to come alongside him, he thinks, to help him answer some of those questions. And we get to read right there in that moment, another ordinary fella led into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. All because he was willing to listen to the scout. Now you read the rest of the book of Acts and you're going to see a common aspect of the Holy Spirit is just this. That he sets up divine appointments with people who do not believe in God to, to have conversations with Christ followers who actually do. And I want to make an observation. And I'd like for you to hear my heart in this because I mean it in the most constructive of ways. But my fear is, in history, history is not going to be kind to the American church. I think when we look back in time, the Holy Spirit's going to say about us, we emphasized sit and study over seek out and share. I think he's going to say the American church in our generation emphasized sit and study over seek out and share. Folks, I am all for knowing the story of this book. I am. I believe the story of this book. I want to study the story of this book. I'm all for analyzing, getting in it, going deep. But you know what? That does very little to those out there who don't have a clue how this story can change, revolutionize their story. Sometime, someone other than the preacher or other than the spiritual professional is going to have to share that story. And what God's trying to say is, there's so many of them out there in so many different circumstances and situations, He needs you. Every one of you. And if you will welcome it, if you will intentionally pray for it and seek it, He will join you with one other person who's far from God to see that they too at least get to hear the story that you know almost by heart. Is that going to be comfortable? Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. If it was, why would he give you a comforter to help you? No way it's going to be easy. Satan won't stand for it. But he sends a scout anyways who will scout out opportunities for us to share and provide just the right words in those moments when they come. Jesus asked us to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you, in it with you, even to the end. Second to last, the next, the Holy Spirit is a postman. Say postman. Oh, great. According to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, here's what he has to say about you being postmarked for eternity. It is in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming. It's just a reminder that we'll get everything that God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Count me in on that. If you, if you also, here's what I want you to do. To help prepare you a little bit for what's coming. I know you're going to hate to do this, but do it for me for a minute. Just for a second. Five seconds tops. Close your eyes. I know it's a public place, but close your eyes for a moment. And what I want to try to ask you to do is picture 
the most beautiful spot you've been to so far in your life. A place you couldn't wait to get back to. A place that you hated to leave. But you had to come back to the grind of the hill country anyway. Think about that particular spot for just a second. Now, open your eyes. Did it look a little bit like this? Next slide. Not everybody's. But let's just use this one for conversation's sake, okay? God wants us to understand that if we're in Christ, our history forward has that in it or something like it with, with, with a beach chair of, and your name on it. And you know what? The best thing about this particular vacation God's about to take you on, uh, this adventure God's about to lead you into, is it's free, paid for. And it has two words attached to it that I love for any, any vacation in my life. All-inclusive. Yeah. Anything you drink, anything you eat, anything, any, any excursions you go on, paid for, taken care of. Some way, somehow, we're missing out on talking about that near enough. My wife talks about heaven all the time. And she keeps reminding me, you need to preach about heaven more. And I do. Because I'm telling you, if you knew, I mean knew, that that or some place like it, that maybe even made that look pale in comparison, was in your future. I mean, you knew it. You trusted that whoever promised you that it was, was telling the truth. If you knew it, couldn't you endure chemotherapy? Couldn't you endure the boss coming in and saying, you need to make some changes or we're going to have to let you go? Couldn't you endure maybe a handicap? The loss of a limit? Couldn't you endure... Being one of those employees that's got to make those changes, not just asking some of them, couldn't you endure anything if you knew for a fact that was coming? Well, I want you to know the Savior who was born of a virgin, who said that he was God in the flesh, who said that his dying on the cross was going to take care of your sin debt, who predicted that death, and a couple of days later was raised from the dead, actually did what he predicted, and has been seen taken up into the heavens by over 500 witnesses, that same person is saying, I've gone to prepare a place for you that's going to rock your world. You can't even begin to imagine. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. I didn't have to make that up. It's in the book. And we don't talk about it near enough, so I am. The Holy Spirit is your postman because I've been signed, sealed, and delivered for heaven. God, bring the mail quickly. Last but not least, the next, the Holy Spirit is your river. Say river. And we're done. This may be the least talked about reference of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives, but it's one of my favorites because it comes from Jesus. Hear his words about it. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim up and spill out of the depths of anybody who believes in me this way. I want you to hear that from Jesus because I want you to think about it as you leave here today. Family, your husband and your wife, your children and your co-workers, your neighbor, your friends, and your preacher, none of us was ever meant to satisfy you. Only the Holy Spirit. He's your refreshment. He's your joy. He's your guide. He's your power. He's your strength. And as you allow him to fill you up, the scriptures say, 
Here's what's going to happen. He will spill out. He will spill out and people will take notice. Rivers go where rivers go. Was it last year that we had the flood? Two years ago? I don't remember when it was, but I still can't ever forget walking out across the bridge here and seeing where that little river that we have there at Lewis Hayes Park had come out of and where it was now. And I kept thinking as I looked at that, that's what you want us to be like in our world, God. You said that you would be like this bubbling up river within us. God, I don't bubble so well on some days. And the world notices church. In his book, Forgotten God, Francis Chen says this. This may seem like a silly illustration, but if I told you that I had an encounter with God where he entered my body and gave me a supernatural ability to play basketball, wouldn't you expect to see an amazing improvement in my jump shot and my defense and in my speed on the court? I mean, after all, this is God we're talking about. And if you saw no change in my athleticism, wouldn't you question the validity of the encounter? He writes, Church, Christians all across the country say the Holy Spirit's entered them. They claim that God has given them a supernatural ability to follow Christ, that he's put, to, uh, put their sin to death, and that he's equipped them to serve in the church. He finishes by saying, Christians talk about being born again. And they say that they were dead, but now they're alive. And yet, when those outside the church see no difference in their lives, they begin to question our integrity and our sanity, or even worse, our God. And he finishes, can you blame them? Man, those words challenge me this week. When it comes to the measure of the Holy Spirit, then I want to ask you as we close, how would you describe yourself? Raging river, dripping faucet. Just for a moment, be honest. Because in the last part of this message, I want to get super practical. If you're not the river, then Jesus says we can be. We're going to put a couple of things up on the screen that I'm going to invite you to pray. And, and I want you to just choose one or two of them this week and to ask God to please do this in you. All right? Put it up on the screen, guys. Maybe you need to pray, surgeon, heal me. Maybe that's where you need to start. Because sin has entered into your life either through someone else's actions or your own choices, and it's destroying it. And you need God to come in and help cut that out and deliver you from it. So you need to pray, surgeon, please heal me. Maybe you need to pray the second one, gardener, please grow me. That some way, somehow, your relationship has gone flatline with him. The soul just almost seems dead. Nothing's growing in it. Hadn't for a long time. Maybe that's what you need to pray as gardener. Please fertilize me, energize me, grow me. Maybe you need to pray number three, attorney, defend me. Like I said a few moments ago, Satan's been on your back, bringing up all those failures and mistakes you've made in the past. I mean, he, he plays them, history rewind. They, they come back and play again, history rewind, they play again. And you just need some freedom from that. Would you pray that? Attorney, please defend me. Maybe you need to pray, scout, guide me that you've been sensing, God's been sensing it, setting up some circumstances and, and relationships that, 
that he's been nudging you to speak something into and you've just been holding back, thinking that it all depended upon you. Maybe you need to pray, Counselor, help me. Scout, guide me. And maybe the last one here, Postman. Not the last one, second to the last. Postman, deliver me. Move my perspective from this job and this body and this failure in my business and this marriage of mine. And please help me think higher and further than just what's in front of me now. Or you may need to pray river flow through me. The last thing that I hope you walked in these doors with is a heart that feels like it's almost dead. Like it's dust. That it's empty. But I want you to know I've experienced that in my life even after I said yes to Jesus Christ because of choices and decisions that I made that just took me far from anything that had to do with His name. When you pray this prayer, River, please flow through me again. It will. He will. Francis Chan's words challenged me this week in a way that I really wasn't prepared for. Raging river or dripping faucet? How does that hit you? I want to have in my, in my history a life that did more than just talk freedom. Church, I want to soar. I want to soar. And that's what Lincoln said we were created to do. Soar. So, to end this lesson, I'm just going to ask you to bow and ask God to please reveal to you what you need to be praying this week. Father, we close this message by inviting you through the power of the Spirit that you said is in us to give us some discernment about where we are with you. If there's those you brought here today who need deliverance, those, Father, here today who need healing, those who, Father, need their perspective lifted from this world to the next, I don't know what they are, but you do. Would you please put on their hearts what they need to be talking to you about this week? And I just beg you, please, would we be known as a church in this community who soars on wings like eagles, who runs and not, does not grow weary, who walks and does not faint with the King of kings and Lord of lords. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name and everybody said, let's stand, let's praise him. And church, let's soar.